Well, today I begin a new series in the book of Revelation, as you saw there with our intro video. Now, specifically, looking at just the first three chapters of Revelation, not all 22, that will take us a whole year plus to, to do that. And not that we're against that, and the day may come when we do that, but here at this juncture at our church development, we're going to have a series on just the first three chapters that we begin today. I'm really excited about this, and, and so some of you maybe have never studied the book of Revelation before, but you've heard about it, and I think, I think it's good to start off right here up front talking about what the book of Revelation is not before talking about what it is. And so first of all, it is not a perfectly mapped out set of charts that maybe you've seen people preach or talk about where you have all of these charts and you can go to the newspaper and then you can go to Revelation and see it perfectly all mapped out and, and to like discern the future coming events, the end of the world. Like if that's what you were hoping, then I'm sorry, but that's not what I have to offer you because that's not even what the book is about. It's not. The book definitely serves a lot of curiosity and interest. People are really intrigued by what's going to happen at the end. But that is not primarily what Revelation is about. It does talk about the end, but it talks about something else far more. See, Revelation is about the glory of King Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about the glory of King Jesus who was resurrected and will one day defeat all evil. And he will reign over his people who will forever enjoy him. And that is what it's about. But the glory of our king who will one day defeat all things evil and gather his people together from all tribes and nations together as one people who will worship him, enjoy him, be in awe of him forever. Revelation does describe the end, but it does so through the prism, through the point of the glory of Jesus. And we're going to begin today by reading Revelation chapter 1. And as we do, I will tell you this up front, it is about one thing. It is about the stunning glory of resurrected Jesus. Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on accounts of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars, and you saw my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There's not much any man can say after reading that, except just fall. For our God in all. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we are so humbled. We are so in awe. As we read these words that Jesus, that you gave to John, that was written down, that we have 2,000 years later. We read it and our hearts are just so gripped and so stirred with your just absolute stunning radiance and your glory. And, and we just fall before you like John. Who are we? That you would love us and sacrifice yourself for us and reveal who you are. Adopt us and allow us to be your children, to have your spirit, to enjoy you. It's just too much to take in. We are your children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been bought with blood. 
and we worship you. So we just ask in this holy moment that your spirit will be so heavy on us that you would open our ears and open our eyes and our hearts to receive from you for we exist by you and for you. We just ask for your glory today to be displayed and that our hearts would beat so hard and so fast and that we would just burn for you. Jesus, for your glory, for your kingdom, in your name, we pray. Amen. The whole purpose of Revelation chapter 1 is, it's pretty obvious. It's meant to stun us. It's meant to be an astounding display of the glory of this resurrected Jesus. It's all about showing his power, his his wisdom. It's all about showing his purpose. It's, it defines who we are. And God's purpose is to display his glory. And so then our purpose is the same. Our very existence is about the glory of God. We exist to display, to reflect the glory of God. So let's just jump in. Let's just dig into these verses here together. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says that this is a revelation. It is a vision that Jesus himself gave to the apostle John, the same person who wrote the gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this, that same John. It says that it was on a Sunday, on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit, so he was enjoying God's presence, and then, and then he, he receives this vision. But verse 4 tells us the book of Revelation is a letter. And so maybe you don't think of it that way. Like oftentimes, again, we think of it as prophetic or apocalyptic, but it's more than that. It is a letter. It is a message that Jesus gave and told John, write this down and send it to these seven churches that are in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. So there were actual literal churches. It says to the seven churches that are in Asia. And so then it lists all of those seven. And we'll be looking at each of those churches and the specific letter, the message that Jesus sent to each one of them. Now it says that he was exiled on the island named Patmos. We saw that in verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and your partner in tribulation. So he's suffering. And the kingdom, he says, with patient endurance. And he says that he was on an island called Patmos. Now, if you don't know where that is, if you're not familiar with the Aegean Sea, it is between Greece and Turkey. So fairly close in between, there's, there's a sea there called the Aegean Sea. And there's a very small island there called Patmos. And so that's where he was. He tells us that's where he was living. And it says that on account of the word of God, and this is the testimony of Jesus, it says that it was Sunday, the Lord's day. And so why do we gather on a Sunday? Because Jesus resurrected on a Sunday called the Lord's day. And so here's John on a Sunday worshiping, kind of like we're doing now. And it says, and, that, and then he receives this vision. And he tells him to write this down and send it, verse 11, to these seven 
specific churches. And even how they're listed would be like a courier going on a circuit to go all around to all seven actual literal churches. Now, why was John on Patmos? Well, Patmos was an island that, of course, was run by the Roman Empire because the whole known world was run by the Roman Empire. And the emperor Domitian was persecuting believers, and he sent prisoners to this small island to go do hard labor. So think along the lines of that concentration camp, like hard labor. This was not a vacation. He wasn't on a Greek island just chilling. He was suffering, and he caused a tribulation. He was being persecuted. And we also know from historical references that this was written around A.D. 90, more or less. And so we know that John was a really old dude. I think Jesus resurrected A.D. 33. This is A.D. 90. So you have like 60 years later. So if John were a teenager, he likely was. When Jesus was still on the earth, then he'd be 80, possibly 80 plus years old. Something maybe even close to 90 years old. So he was an old man. So just think an old man suffering in a place of hard labor and imprisonment. And then it's right there. And so let me give you just a quick sidebar, not part of the sermon notes, but just, you know, for free. You may be in a place that's hard and that's suffering, but it doesn't mean God can't speak to you. It, it, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for you. It doesn't mean that you're put on the shelf and now God can't use you. Life may be hard. It may be challenging. It may be hard labor for you and you're in your own personal Patmos today. And yet God still has a plan and a purpose for you just like he did for John. And he reveals this book to John. And so he says, write this whole book down and send it to the churches in the middle of their suffering of persecution. And then in verses 12 and 13, it describes, it says, the son of man in the midst of, it says, the seven golden lampstands. We'll get to those later in the text. And the verse 20, we just read, it says that these lamps are seven churches that are going to receive this letter. Now, you may have heard this, but in the Bible, the number seven has symbolic significance. The number seven represents completion or wholeness or even perfection. And so when Jesus writes this to seven churches, there were churches that existed beyond right there in modern-day Turkey. Like, there were many churches. I mean, Paul wrote to Galatians, and he wrote to the Corinthians and to church in Rome and the church that was all over. There was many churches, not just these seven. And the reason that it's seven is because the message here is that it's writing to the complete church of Jesus, to all of his churches. And so we can deduce from being the, the number of completion that this is a message that is for all churches of all time the completion, all of the churches of Jesus. And that includes Renewal Church in 2020. Jesus is still speaking, and he's speaking to us today. So if Jesus would literally, physically walk into this gathering of Renewal Church, 
First of all, I would sit down or bow down. I would not be up here. Would you care what he had to say? Like, would you be sitting or thinking about the Cowboys game? Would you be sitting or thinking about lunch? Or hunting season just kicked off from what I hear this weekend? Would you be thinking about that buck that you just, you know, snagged yesterday? Like, what would be on your mind if, if Jesus literally, physically came into this church and said, I have a message for Renewal Church. Like, we would all be totally dialed in and listening. What do you think this is? He is here. His spirit is in us. He is very present. And he has a message for his church. And that's what Revelation is all about. And so over the next seven weeks, we'll be looking at Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and going through each of these churches and seeing the specific message that Jesus had for them and realize that because of this complete reference with seven, it applies to all churches beginning with us. And our very purpose, the reason why he speaks is so that we can radiate the glory of Jesus. Because what you see in chapter one that we just read it's overwhelming. It's, it's absolutely stunning. And Jesus is described as stunningly radiant. And then there's these lamps that he is walking in the midst of. And that's a church. That's churches. There's a renewal church lamp that Jesus is tending to. And he wants this renewal church lamp to burn hot and to shine into the darkness of Bell County. Because if you think that we live in a utopian, everyone's a Christian, then you need to wake up. Like, do not confuse nominal or cultural or just casual Christianity with those that are born again of the Spirit. God, like there's darkness in Bell County, and we are a lamp that is designed to shine the light of Jesus and to reflect his glory and to radiate for him. And so this series is called Radiant, and I pray that we will become a vibrant church that radiates God's glory. That's the point. That's why we're here. And there were several of us that got here several hours ago to unload two trailers and to set up. Why? Why would anyone get up that early on a Sunday? Because what we're doing is eternal. Because this gathering has eternal implications. Because it's what we're made for is to serve and to worship our God. And this text has three truths. There's more than that, but I'm trying to distill it down to its, its essence so that we can get our minds around a very profound text. We'll look at three truths of how the Spirit of God creates 
a church that radiates God's glory. How does the Spirit of God do that? How can we be a church that for real isn't just posing, but that really does radiate the glory of God? This text tells us, number one, we will radiate God's glory when we hear Jesus speak. We must hear Jesus speak. Verse one, it says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation in the Greek, it's the apocalypsis. And so like in Spanish, apocalypsis is very similar. And so that's what revelation is. So apocalyptic or apocalypse is the same word here for revelation. And, and the word means to uncover. So what was hidden, what, what, what was unknown and in darkness has now been uncovered and brought to light. So it means to reveal or, or to disclose, to uncover is what revelation means, so to reveal something. And then in verse 3, it says this is a prophecy. And so prophecy refers to God being able to tell us future events in the course of human history, like what is going to unfold. And then if you're talking about the word for apocalypse, it refers to what's going to be revealed in the very conclusion of history. And so both talk about the future but this talking about specifically the end times, the end of what we know as this earth. And chapter 1, verse 3, offers a promise to anyone who hears God's word. Specifically in this text, but generally, obviously, all truth, it's hearing. So there's a blessing in hearing the word. So the church is called to listen Listen, faith comes by hearing. We're called to hear Jesus, hear his word. And so these first three verses are filled with this language of Jesus revealing, it says. It says Jesus showing, and it says that he is making his word known, and it is the testimony of Jesus. All this is the first three verses. This is the key words that you can unlock and then see what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about how Jesus is speaking, revealing, giving a testimony, making his word, his purpose, himself known. Which is why I talk about how he is here and he is speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? He's speaking. That's guaranteed. We listen. We are called to be like young Samuel who was asleep and you heard God calling him. And then Samuel finally learned, taught by Eli, to respond and to say, Speak, for your servant hears. Speak, God. I exist for you. I'm listening. I'm here. I want to hear from you. And this is what we're designed for. We're, we exist to hear. And this is not new. Like, if this has been the case in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, how did he create? He spoke. And then he creates Adam again with his word. 
And then he gives Adam his word. And Adam has to hear the word of God and then obey it and live out this purpose as he has been hearing God. Problem is, Adam heard the word of the serpent and believed the serpent's word over God's word. He didn't hear God. He heard the serpent. Of course, we never think decaying went, went to pot, and today our world is corrupted and it's broken. So that's where it began, with a failure to hear, really hear the word of God and then to, to act on it. So what does God do? He, he gives his people his word again at Mount Sinai, and, and he gives them the covenant and the law, more of his word. And so it's all about the word, and the word is what creates, which is why Jesus is called the word of God. Because it is the means by which God accomplishes his purposes. It's through the power of his word. And he is sustaining everything that exists through his word. And even our redemption. It's Jesus calling you. And you hearing. That's why in Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. We hear the word and then the Holy Spirit does something. He regenerates. He brings us to life. He breathes life into us. And then we respond with faith. And the beginning point is hearing, which is why in Matthew 4, Verse 4, when he's being tempted by Satan, he tells Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We literally live by the word of God. God's word is our life. It's nourishment to our soul. We live by it. We hope in it. We are shaped by it. We treasure the word. We preach the word. We respond to the word. We, we sing the word. Everything about who we are as a church is based upon the word of God. On He speaks and we listen. This is, this is who God is and who he has made us to be. And so if you're new to Renewal Church, I want you to know something. Um, the sermons aren't short. <laughs> you likely already know that if you followed us online or, or if you've heard rumblings. But if you notice, I don't even really waste time giving a whole bunch of stories. Like, I'm trying to do my best to be faithful to show you not my opinions, but to just show you from the word how absolutely magnificent our God is and how everything else that this world has to offer will disappoint you and leave you down and empty and addicted and hungry. And we don't have time to waste. Man, I only get one life. I'm not going to waste it. And I want you to waste yours either. And I'm not going to waste your time on a Sunday. Seriously, if you want to say, all right, we got, we got our 60-minute clock going. Service starts at 10. By 11, we better be done. So I got the pregame to go watch for football. Like, uh, you found the wrong church. I'm really sorry. 
There's a bunch of them in this town. Like, take a stone, throw it, and you'll hit a building. It, they're everywhere. We want to feed our souls from the word. This is our life, and we're hungry for it. We're desperate for it. Now, sometimes we don't even know it. It's like sometimes you think, oh, I'm hungry for something, and, and you'll go eat, like, junk food, right? And then what happens, like, within 10 minutes, you're hungry again. So you go for another sugary bar or whatever, right? And, and then it perpetuates the cycle. Your body is actually hungry, but it's not hungry for that sugary snack. It's not. I promise. Now, you think it is. But it's not. Just like your soul is hungry, and you think it's hungry for pornography. You think it's hungry for that one more, one more drink. You think it's hungry for that status. You think it's hungry for that success. You think your soul is hungry for the things of this world. But let me tell you, when you are looking to feast on the things of this world, it will not satisfy because what you are actually hungry for is for God himself who's revealed in his word. You are hungry. Your soul is hungry. That's what Jesus, the bread of life. Eat me. We're hungry. We must hear the word and live with the sense of urgency because you see that in the first three verses repeated. He says that these things that must soon take place, like these things will soon, the end will soon take place. And then verse three says that the time is near. The time is short. The end is coming. So there's this, this imminent and this urgency that you get from chapter one, verses one and three. It's this, can't waste my time. Like I need to live for Jesus and feed my soul and hear from him. So if we're to be a church that radiates the glory of God, let alone you as an individual, but us collectively, number one, it begins with hearing Jesus speak. Number two, if we are to radiate God's glory, we must see the glory of Jesus. So it begins with hearing the word of Jesus. And then second, it progresses to then seeing the glory of Jesus. Because hear me, this is important. Hearing the word is not the final goal. It's not. The goal of our salvation, the goal of your life, God's purpose, all of it. Hearing is not the end. Hearing is the beginning. Because we begin with hearing, and then it progresses to seeing. Have you thought about this? The Bible never talks about hearing the glory of God. It never, never says that. Look, I've read it. I promise, it's not in there. The Bible talks about, behold our God. See him. See him. Not just hear him. We are told to see the glory of God. This is really important. 
Hearing the word leads to seeing the glory of Jesus. So all of our hearing the gospel, all of our hearing the word leads us to seeing Jesus in his stunning beauty and majesty, in his splendor. It begins with hearing, and then the Holy Spirit takes us to be able to see. Which is why in verses 5 through 8, where you see this stunning glory of Jesus, it says, him who was and who is to come. And so it's talking about the Father there. And then it says seven spirits. Now, again, seven means complete, whole, perfect. And so the seven spirits means the Holy Spirit. So you see the Father's glory, see the Spirit's glory, and then you see the glory of Jesus. So you see Trinitarian glory being displayed in this verse. But the emphasis really is on Jesus. It mentions the Father and the Spirit briefly, and then you get many verses describing the absolute stunning majesty of the resurrected Son of God. And he is described in such a way where it's saying, look at him, see it. Take your eyes off of the things of this world and look, see the absolute stunning glory of Jesus. It says he is a faithful witness. Again, verses 5 through 8, describing Jesus. It says he is a faithful witness. And so he is displaying the truth and he is trustworthy, absolute truth. He is always a faithful witness. It says he's the firstborn of the dead. What that means is that he is the first one to be resurrected, to never die again. And so others were resurrected, Old Testament, New Testament. Yes, people were resurrected, but they all died again, eventually. Jesus is the first one to be resurrected, to never die again. He is the head of a new resurrected humanity of those that have been made new, who've experienced the renewal of God. He is the firstborn of the dead, the first one to be resurrected who will never taste death again. And he is the ruler, it says, of kings on earth. He has absolute sovereignty and authority. He is the ruler. It says, Jesus who loves us. You have to know that today. God's not angry at you if you trust in him as your savior. The Bible describes him as the blessed God repeatedly. The word blessed means happy. Just like in Matthew 5, it says blessed, like these beatitudes, blessed, it means happy. Happy are those that are poor in spirit. Happy are those that are meek. And so this description it says happy, and so Jesus is happy. You, you don't have an angry father in heaven. It's not like whenever, when you were a kid, or if you're a kid now in the room, and your dad gets home, he's kind of mad. Is that fun? Uh, no. No one's having fun if dad's grumpy. It's not fun. It stinks. And some of you think that God is mad at you. And you think, then you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have a grumpy, angry father for eternity. But that's not true. He's happy. He loves you. You're his little boy. You're his, his little girl. Like, he's happy. 
He's blessed. It says he loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He paid the redemption price to free us from slavery. He paid it. We're a blood-bought people. And it says, that he, and then we're gathered, it says, a kingdom of priests. We're his kingdom. We're his prized possession. Well, he died to gather us as his people. And then verse 7 says, behold. You know what behold means? It means look. It's just big, you know, word. It just means look. But look, not like a glance. I mean, like stare. Look intently. Notice. Keep your gaze upon. It says, behold, look, he is coming with the clouds. Behold him. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It doesn't just say we'll hear him. It does say here in the first three verses. But then the next several verses, five through eight, the emphasis is seeing. Look, behold his majesty. Let me ask you a question. In your life, what's real? Like, what's really real in your life? Yes, people are real. I agree with Jared. There are some of you that maybe your anxiety has been so real to you that you like can't even see past it. For some of you, the, fe- the fear of the future, the fear of not getting married, the fear of, well, I am married and it stinks. Or the fear of this career is not going to make it. Or the fear of filling blank. Whatever it is, it could be a diagnosis, anything. Fear can be so gripping, it's possible to you. Your fear is so real that you can't even see past it. And everything is, you're you're looking your life through these lenses of fear. And it colors everything in your life. And that is what's so real to you. If your soul is just unhappy or disappointed, or if you're frustrated or in deep pain, like different things can really impact. And everything that we're seeing in our world that is so real to us is being looked at through a particular lens. Others of you are thinking much more simple. You're like, what's real in my life? My kids won't even obey? Those, that pile of dirty dishes from last night? That's real to me, and it's real annoying or really hard or real whatever. Maybe your jam-packed schedule is very real to you. You know what? I, I don't want to minimize or diminish what you're going through or what, what's real in your life, but let me, let me just tell you something from the authority of God's word. There's more. Much more. You know what else is real? Jesus. Jesus is real. He is a real resurrected king. 
He for real is drawing you closer and shaping you so that you will display his glory in the middle of your pain, in the middle of whatever you are facing. You have to know what's real and that God is on his throne and whatever you're facing, he's got this. Because I think sometimes we think, you know what's real? My jerk boss. You don't know what's going on at work. It's just hard and it becomes all consuming to you. And like that's what's most real on your mind is that situation. But you have to know that what's real is that God has a purpose for you, a plan for you, even in the middle of all of the frustrations. And that's just as real. Honestly, it's more so because it's eternal. Word revelation, remember, it means to uncover. And so God is uncovering. He's pulling back the veil and opening the heavens so that you can see him, see his glory, see reality for what it is. I think sometimes we live our lives and it's like that, that God stuff, that faith stuff. That's just Sunday morning. The pastor believes it good for him. And there's a few people that impacts them, but your day in, your day out life is completely unaffected by Jesus. Like no impact. It really changes nothing about how you think or what you do or how you work or how you treat people or how you behave or how you feel or how you think. It there's no impact. It's, he's not real to you. Now he is real. The, the veracity of Jesus is not impacted by your belief. Like he's real. But he's not really you. And the calling from God's word is to allow the spirit to pull back, to uncover, to reveal, and let you see what's really going on. And there is a God who loves you and who died for you and wants to transform you so you will radiate the glory of God and find the real source of joy who is Jesus himself. And so we see this amazing progression in the beginning of chapter one, where we see this hearing Jesus. And then the next few verses talk about a beholding, every eye will see him. I want to read to you another text that shows this same thing. This is important. Second Corinthians chapter four. So two Corinthians chapter four, verses five and six. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So Paul says that he is proclaiming, he is preaching. So people are hearing the gospel, they're hearing Christ proclaimed. And it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is preached, we hear it, and then the Spirit then allows us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The darkness is pushed back, the blindness is healed. So what we see here is really important, this progression of we hear, the Spirit does his work of regeneration, and then we respond with faith, we trust him, and then there's this amazing thing of where it's like, all of a sudden it's like, your eyes are open. 
and you see it, you see the glory of God. You see his majesty. Like minutes before, you were blind and you didn't love Jesus. And you didn't care about Jesus. And he was boring to you or meaningless or just religion, pointless, religious nonsense. You were blind. You didn't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, but then you heard the gospel, and then you saw Jesus. And you were stunned at what you saw. So our hearing leads to seeing. Number three, if we're going to be a church that radiates God's glory, we must be in awe of Be in awe of him. Our hearing leads us to our seeing. And then when we see him, when your eyes of faith are opened and you see his stunning glory, you will respond with awe. You will fall before him like John did, like man, as though he was dead. And so if you're not in awe of Jesus, if you backtrack, it's because you're not seeing his glory. And if you're not seeing his glory, you're not hearing from Jesus. Because if you're hearing, you will see it and you'll be in awe. This is what we see in this text. Verses 13 through 16 are just awe-inspiring. Like the vision of Jesus is so amazing. If you want to do more of your own study, we don't have time today to cross-reference, but go back to Daniel 7 and Daniel 10. Because when you go back and see Daniel 7 and 10, and then you read Revelation 1, you're going to be like, oh, this is amazing. Like seeing the connections and seeing how Jesus was promised. And it's the same Jesus, the same glory that Daniel saw in his vision is the exact same vision like 700 years later because it's the same Jesus. He's, he's the same one. So John sees the same thing. And by the way, the next seven weeks when we look at the different churches, what you're going to see is this exact same language repeated over and over and over. Because first, Jesus reveals who he is in chapter one. And then he responds with, here's how you should live in light of who I am in chapters two and three. So first, see who he is and then respond with awe. And you see that with all of these churches. And then we'll learn how we can be a radiant church as we look through and so this language is the same that we'll be looking at again, but let's go through it quickly. It says in these verses, 13 through 16, this amazing vision that Jesus is son of man, that is quoting Daniel 7. That's where you first see that, that he's a Messiah, has an eternal kingdom. Jesus is God. It says that he's clothed with the long robe and with the golden sash around his chest. That is straight Daniel 10, describing royalty. He is clothed as the heavenly high priest. It says, hairs on his head were white, white like wool, like snow. That's right from Daniel 7, where he's called the ancient of days. And so in Hebrew thought, having gray hair, and I, I'm getting some now, so I guess that means I'm getting wiser, because in Hebrew thought, gray hair, like no one would use just for men, like that would be unheard of, because having gray hair was a sign of wisdom. And, and so, so I'm not going to use just for men. I mean, my mom gave me one for Christmas. Like she said, here, Matthew, you need some just for men. 
And I was, mom, I love you, but I'm good. Like, I'll, I'll rock my gray hair. Um, it's, it's just the reality of it. Because ideally, it shows growth and greater wisdom. So when it describes Jesus as having, it says, white hair like snow, white like wool, and ancient days from Daniel 7, it's describing how Jesus has infinite wisdom. He knows everything, even though he is the ageless one. He's ancient days. He doesn't age. He's Jesus. He's eternal. He doesn't get old like we do. We won't one day when we're resurrected. We do on this side of heaven. But he's wise. It says his eyes were like a flame of fire. So fire is this holy, consuming reality. And so he has this holy, pure, like burning vision where nothing escapes his vision. He sees all. Now, this is really important because God sees you and knows you. Your fears, your struggles, that secret thing that no one knows about, he knows. He knows it all. His vision is perfect. And he loves you. He knows you completely. And loves you completely. This is the God that we worship. Flame is a fire for eyes. His feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Describing powerful ability to like crush the enemy like we saw from Genesis 3, and he will crush the head of the serpents. His voice was like the roar of many waters. That language first appears in Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai, where there's smoke and lightning and thunder, and it describes the voice of God as like, well, like many rushing waters, like a major waterfall, loud and overwhelming. That is his voice. And it says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword describing his authority. The Bible describes that the, the word of God is like a sword that pierces down to our hearts and our thoughts. It pierces us. And so this idea of out of his mouth, words that are coming out is perfect authority. And he has a final word, just like we sang today. It is finished. When Jesus declared, it is finished. From the cross, he was saying, it's done. I completed the work. Redemption is won. So Jesus has a final word, authority over death itself. He has the keys of death and Hades. Full authority. It says his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Again, radiant. That's what I was reading this and I was like, man, he's like radiant. That's what Jesus is. He is radiant. Blazing with splendor and glory. What do you think these verses are all about? Like, why do you think the Bible reveals this to us? So that we would be in awe. Just be blown away and overwhelmed by him. How does John respond in verse 17? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Yeah, that's probably about right. Like, that's how any of us would respond, overwhelmed by Jesus. But I am just blown away. If you look at verses 17 and 18, when John is on his face, he can't even look at the stunning glory of Jesus. I fell at his feet as though dead. 
but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Revelation is about the culmination of God's purpose, of him displaying his glory by defeating the enemy and gathering his people. It's all about worship. It's about a a people, a worshiping community. Always has been, always will be. Worship is about being in awe of him. We exist for the presence of God. Now, maybe you came today looking for a much more practical sermon. Maybe you thought, oh man, I needed a sermon on how to be a better husband. Maybe you thought, man, I need a practical sermon on how to manage my finances better. Or maybe if you're here and you're not married, you thought, you know what? I was hoping for a sermon on how to find a godly spouse. Or how to manage your time better. Or any number of other topics that we could have chosen to meditate on today that would have addressed a felt need. A need that you feel that's obvious or apparent to you. But what we need most of all is to feel Jesus have his right hand on our shoulder and say, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What you need is more of Jesus. But we actually need is the presence of God because listen to me, if you get this right, if you will hear Jesus and then you will see his glory and then respond with being in awe of him and know that he is near, I can tell you this right now, you will become a better husband. Promise, I promise you will. If you're struggling with depression, this will break those chains. If you are struggling with an addiction, this will break those chains. If you're struggling with managing your time or whatever other thing in your life that is just eating your lunch, what you need is to know that Jesus is right there, his hand on your shoulder and saying, son, I got this. Will you just come and draw near to me. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the wisdom. What you need is more of me. That's what we need. Living in awe of Jesus will lead us to reflect his glory and radiate for him. Because the question really isn't, will you radiate something? Because you will. You are designed as an image bearer. You will reflect glory. That isn't the question. The question is, what are you radiating? The question is, what are you reflecting? What vibe do you give off? What are you really about? And I don't mean when you're faking it on a Sunday. I mean, like, for real. What are you really 
about deep down inside. What do you treasure? What do you hope in? Find your security in? Is your life radiating selfishness or foolishness or some kind of addiction or something else? What is your life radiating? Or does your life radiate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because those are the fruits of the Spirit. That is what it looks like when we're radiating the glory of God. Let's read the last verse and we'll conclude. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand, and seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We'll talk about that more next week because that's in the two chapters says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Renew church is a lamp. The question is, is it burning brightly? Is it burning hot for Jesus? Or is it flickering and not really radiating very much? May we hear Jesus speak that will result in us seeing his glory that will lead to the final end, the purpose of it all, to be in awe, to fall in worship. What are you in awe of? We're all in awe of something. What captures your gaze? And I pray that the Holy Spirit just wrecks you totally just leaves you undone and that you allow him to remake you into something new, beautiful, glorious, and find real joy in Jesus. May we be radiant and become a vibrant church that radiates the glory 